your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James, Alex, and a snacking Ryan here to celebrate Everton's 1-0 victory over Brentford at Goodison Park. The siren was back today. Everton ended Brentford's 12-game unbeaten run after a first-minute goal by Dwight McNeil. It was Everton's first Premier League win against the Bees, and they become just the seventh team in Premier League history to win a 1-0 game in which the only goal was scored in the opening minute. On top of all that, from Gavin Buckland, Everton's official statistician, Dwight McNeil's goal after 35 seconds is the earliest winner for Everton ever at Goodison Park. Some stat right there. Yeah, so this is Sean Dyche's third win in seven matches in total managing Everton, which is as many as Lampard achieved in his 20 games in charge this season, which is not a great stat or a great look for Lampard. Um, that brings us up to 15th place, but everyone around us has games in hand. Um, but before we get into all of the analysis of today's victory, James would like to tell you to follow us everywhere. Follow us everywhere, <laughs> as Alex said. Social media at USA Toffee Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of the links you can find at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. And join our Discord. We'll be shouting out a number of members because we had a lot of correct score predictions in just a minute. Invite.gg slash ATP. Invite.gg slash ATP. Now let's get right into it, guys. A lot to talk about. Exciting match. And we'll begin with instant match reactions. Yeah, it was not an easy one after going up at, you know, within 35 seconds and that being the match winner at a 1-0 victory. But I chose Call Me Nash at Astro and Toffee, who said, may I breathe now? Because that's exactly how I felt. That was probably one of the longest second halves uh, of the season based on how it turned out, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, definitely identify with that one. And I have a feeling we may not uh, see the end of anxious second halves uh, through the rest of the season. I'll throw it over to Ryan for who he chose. I want to first say I'm not entirely comfortable with people following us around everywhere we go. Uh, if that's what the implication was, <laughs> I want to make it very clear. Don't do that. I'd love to see many of you, but if I see you following me around someplace, things are not going to go well. See, this um, is why this is why James has to do that because I, I'm telling people to follow us around everywhere. Yeah, well, James is indirectly too, so I don't know whose fault that is. I just want to clarify and make it on the clear. internet. Follow us on the internet, not lurking in bushes behind. You know, when we're going to the grocery store, who is what? Anyway, um, but if you'd like to know later, just send me a DM and I'll tell you exactly where James is and what grocery stores he attends. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that is also not true. Don't do don't do that. Anyway, moving on. Um, I've taken um, a tweet from. Garrett Post at Parrot Ghost, um, well-known American Evertonian, West Coaster. The only thing clear and obvious in quotes, do you get that, um, is three points to the Toffees. Played a dangerous game for the last 25 minutes, but the defensive organization was night and day from what we saw under Lampard. Every win without DCL is huge. Think the system will work much better with him. Up the Toffees. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the good point. I mean, it's a massive win, like a really massive win. But beyond that, 
Every time we were winning without Dominic Calvert-Lewin, it is massive. Now, look, I don't think Dom's going to come in here and necessarily set the world on fire, but at least gives us an orientation more along the Sean Dice plan A. I think there's some question. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the pod, um, whether he has a plan B, what that looks like. But yeah, I mean, any win we can have without him being in there is just massive. Wholeheartedly agree. And I also want to congratulate Garrett on his recent job with the Oakland Roots. Uh, Very exciting for him. For my instant match reaction, I went with Clayson at Son of Clays, who wrote a lovely little poem for all of you toffees out there. And I mean, this is just too good. I couldn't let this one go unrecognized. He said, McNeil with a rocket, Onana's swollen socket, the bees buzzing couldn't land, timeless again from 60 grand. The subs were lacking, but Tarkin Kino cracking. Dice continues to show he's able, leading the toffees up the table. VAR robbery yet again, but no matter, Everton win. Beautiful. I mean, come on, guys. That is that is beautiful right there. Um, and they did indeed win, and that is really probably the most effective match summary you could get. But we're going to go on for another you know 40-plus minutes here talking about the rest of the match. Um, before we get into the lineups, score predictions on our Discord. Optimistic bunch today. It was quite a mix. A lot of people predicting a loss, but we had nine correct score predictions, and that was Roland Sludvig's Sean Kahn, a.k.a. Optimism Train Chief, James Shea, a.k.a. Resident Optimist, the real MEP23, yours truly, James Boyman, pat on the back to myself, BC Gross, Tony Sampson coming in, usually predicts the 1-1, but went with the 1-0 today and was rewarded for his optimism, Edom, and you're probably right. So congrats to all of you guys and myself for predicting the win. Great job. Now let's get into the respective lineups pre-match, and we'll talk a little tactics right after. If I'd known we were going to do the poem earlier, I would have tried to put our notes in poem form, like, or at least in a haiku of some sort. But fine, I guess we'll just keep it normal. Um, it's just so rare to have a win, you know what I mean? I'm all excited yes. and happy. Maybe it's a coffee, I don't know. Um, Brentford only really made one change. Yanelt came in for Vissa. Um, I thought they might bring in De Silva, too, because when they had switched and reverted back to the 4-3-3 in the past, he was typically on the right, so... I'd say that's a little bit of a defensive move. Um, may have been more of a tactical one. It looked like they were trying to be especially vertical in the first half. Look, we know Tony's a beast up front, and and the odds are, um, if you're a betting person, uh, that he could be a real problem. Um, certainly, he he is a betting person. So, um, yeah, and and look, he's strong, and he's gonna. And I think that's another reason too. I mean, if you're gonna bring, and we'll get to Everton's lineup in a while, if you're gonna make a change. This is probably the game that you want two big center halves. <laughs> How did you there? If you saw the video, James and Alex are dying right now, but I, they weren't paying attention. Like it's in the notes, guys. Did you not know that was coming? It's, it's just so good. The delivery is so good. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I have no idea what I'm talking about now. Uh, and bueno, Buemo, right, right wing. Uh, this just in, he's left footed. I really wish maybe we paid a little more attention to that today. He's a very good player. I think he's a danger guy on the right cutting inside. Um, he also can stretch defenses too. He's almost like a second forward at times and his movement's good. He can get on the ball and Damsgaard is super fast on the left. A little disappointed in him, honestly. I thought he would, he would have a little bit more of an impact on the league. I, I, I think the, the hopes are very high for him. He hasn't really, I think, broken out yet. Um, I'll tell you what, though, if they ever got a dominant force on the left side, this would be, a, I mean, it's a good team. This is a very good team, honestly. And they've, I mean, Alex and I were talking before on the pod, they've got a lot of good players on the bench. They can like a lot of changes. And Thomas Frank is absolutely a fantastic tactician 
who gets it right a lot. Um, Enrico Henry and Hickey are really good attacking from wide spaces and versatile. So I think it's a very good team with a good goalie in, in Raya too, in the back. Um, I, I'm not in love with Pinnock and me. I think you can score on them if you get at them, uh, but they're very well organized, very well disciplined, uh, very well coached. And, and we saw that because while we started out well, they made some changes we'll get to in the timeline that were pretty dramatic. Um, not a lot of changes in the Everton lineup, but there's still always questions in terms of who we're playing, right? Yeah, it was the same lineup for Everton as the last time out versus Nottingham Forest. We saw Damari Gray start up top over Mopai, which you know probably wasn't necessarily a surprise um, to the Everton fan base in general. We also saw Ben Godfrey start at left back over Mikalinko, which was interesting because last week, you know, the reasoning was that Mikalinko was getting over an illness. I know he was pictured in training multiple times. So the question really is, was it fitness or was it the fact that, you know, Mikalinko maybe as of late or through the season really hasn't been performing that well. Um, and obviously we'll get into kind of the, the performance of Godfrey in a, in a second, but um, the rest of the team mostly has been unchanged under Dyche. It's been a pretty store, uh, a standard core group of players. Keen still did retain his place over Cody at center back as well. Um, which we'll definitely talk about his performance. We saw um, quite a few uh, listeners on Twitter respond and say that he had a good match too. So Ryan, why don't you break down the tactical setup for us in the match today versus Brentford? I didn't see a massive change necessarily in Everton. It looked like the four or five one, but I will say this, we were pressing a little bit higher. And I think when we did that, that's when you saw a little bit more of a four, four, two, you saw Decore jumping up higher along with gray, um, you saw Ghana and Onana at times functioning a bit more as a unit. Now, when they had the ball and started to possess it more in the second half, it looked more like the four or five one. Um, and I feel like when we won the ball, you almost saw DeCorey slide in and make it you know, almost like a four one one at times. Um, other times, you know, naturally you'd have Anana going up dealing with long balls, but I want to talk about that for a second too. So Pickford was five of 20, 26 in long passes. Um, you know, Raya was. 12 of 18. I mean, it's a massive difference in possession. And I know Dice doesn't care about possession, but I, I just felt like today we really didn't do the greatest job, especially in the second half of using gray. Um, we, we pressed higher and there were opportunities for him. So those I think were good decisions in the first half, but I think we just kind of kind of lost that a little bit. And that, that I think is what brings up some of the questions of plan a versus plan B, um, especially with the clearances too, right? Like a lot of the clearances yeah. in the second half, like it just was not even directionally going to give him a chance. Yeah. You felt like we didn't have an idea. Like you need a, you need a plan, like a clearance should at least have a thought. It doesn't need to be in Rosette. Um, you know, just cause if you say you have just that one extra half second on the clearance, and you know to send in the wide channel, like that could make a big difference, right? And and Brentford deserves credit for organization too. They're not dummies. Um, but look, in the first half, you saw Brentford playing very direct. I mean, how many times are they firing the ball and trying to turn it from back to front very quickly, trying to take advantage of, of the lack of pace we have in the back line collectively? Um, mostly out towards Keane, uh, who's dealing with Tony or Tarkowski. Um, but look, they're second in long passes per 90 in the league. You know, they they have a low passing rate, they're very direct. Um, they pressure a lot, but ultimately the whole league is like that. If you look at it, like the PPDA numbers are really high now. Um, they're second in the league in aerial duels. So the ball's up in the air a lot for them. You know, those long passes are the same thing. And you see crosses as well. They're mid table, but the, you know, they don't have a ton of possession. Um, you don't see them dribble. I mean, they're 19th in dribbles per 90. They just move the ball up the field very quickly via pass guys like Ben me, 
Jensen, Norgard, uh, even Janelle to time. They'll ping it all over the place. And me was six of six of ten for long balls. Uh, Janelle was um, five of eight. You know that. So you saw a little bit of that, especially in the first half when they started switching the ball more rather than going as vertical. And I, I thought that made made a big difference. Um, and just look at the numbers, like those cross numbers and stuff. That's normally Everton putting up those numbers, right? Yeah, I mean, today it was 29 crosses for Brentford to just 16 for us, 74 long balls to 65. So, I mean, yeah, they had way more possession, second half especially, so more of a chance to do what they want to do, which is exactly what Ryan described. Um, But even in short passes, I mean, 455 to 197, so so very lopsided. But both teams exhibiting pretty good balance in terms of where they wanted to attack. Um, I think Brentford kind of picked their spots, certain moments of the game they really focused on going down, like, Towards the end, I think they were kind of going at Seamus Coleman a little bit more. Um, but 37% down the left for Everton versus 41 down the right. And again, no surprise with Ben Godfrey over there. We definitely don't really like to see him get forward very much. Yeah, and actually, I mean, attacking Seamus, but I think there was a little bit of flipping at one point of Awobi and McNeil, too, I think, to help kind of mitigate some of that stuff. If you notice, Awobi was on the left when he was eventually subbed out. And, and that's needed sometimes. And those guys, I mean, the, the scheme that Dice play really puts a lot of pressure on those wide midfielders they have to be fit they have to really work hard on defense um and they certainly did today um look mcneil was dangerous on the left side but often it was as a result of us kind of controlling the ball a little bit on the right and then switching it back to the left or pressuring effectively from the right second half was kind of a a totally different deal um yeah, and that's how it was. And and Brentford, you know, just made a big difference in, in the second half. We'll get to that, too, because, I mean, the subs, I think, was a, a bit a part of the game plan change. But um, I guess before we get into the timeline, too, now is probably as good as any time to take a little bit of break. And so now a couple words from our sponsors. All right, we are back and right into the timeline we go. And boy, is this a quick start to the timeline. It's just, I think, 36 seconds into the match and Everton lead through Alex Awobi, wide right, playing the ball infield to Decore, keeps it moving across the pitch to Dwight McNeil, who takes it inside on his left foot. Or sorry, he takes it inside, but then takes it with his outside foot. Left foot. Wait, 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 wait. He takes it with his left foot? Takes it with his left foot. I know. Shocking. And he doesn't rocket it. It's actually just a really well-placed to the far post and beats Raya. And Everton are up 1-0. And uh, I said in the Discord, we scored too early. We scored way too early. We saw it last week against Forrest. Very nervy, but nonetheless, never going to turn my nose up at a 1-0 lead and a great, great start. And very important to get the Goodison faithful uh, up and at it very early on in the match and create a very intimidating atmosphere for the visitors. Yeah, it was it was a nice way to wake up watching the match um, and be surprised very early on. And uh, it was interesting because we had talked about, you know, the different midfield roles. So so to see Ducore so high up so quickly um, you know, a nice just slide pass over and, and it was a good finish from McNeil, but also I, I I'm glad that McNeil specifically got the goal. I think he's been working hard. Um, he's had a lot of good balls in the box in the last few weeks that maybe didn't amount to what, what they should have. Um, so it, it was, it was a positive start for Everton and definitely, um, not necessarily the best to be in 35 seconds, but I thought, you know, throughout the first half, um, we ended up having a, a pretty positive perfor- performance, you know, the 15th minute, uh, Gray had a, a free kick after a foul. 
He swings it into Michael Keane, who had a free header once again in the box, but it was well wide. That was definitely another warning sign to Brentford. Um, and that was one where you would think, you know, I think if, if I'm not mistaken, Raya was kind of caught in no man's land there too, right? So he didn't get a hand on it. And that would have been a really nice way to go up 2-0 early on. But, you know, again, Michael Keane, he's coming for uh, Connor Cody. He had um, he had a nice assist the other day, a header in the box. He gets up. We know he's no, uh, he's no uh, stranger. He's no God, Connor Cody. He's not a stranger. He's not a stranger to goals. Uh well, look, he's a courageous player. I mean, there's no question about it. And and that's something you got to admire about him. I mean, he's talked about mental health struggles and stuff like that. But look, man, the guy is courageous about going for the going for the ball in the air. He throws himself into it. He's gotten his head smashed many times. In this instance, though, God, if he just flicks it just a little bit more, it's right in the net. Because you're right. Raya's totally out on his own end. I mean, he, he's he's done. Uh, good keeper, but probably not the best decision there. They all make mistakes. And then in the 19th, I mean, this is the big miss, I think, of the match, really. This makes a huge difference if this goes in. It's a dangerous cross. I, I don't think the keeper does great on this one either. Unfortunately, it drops to maybe not our most efficient finisher. Uh, Onana's not used to playing up this high, really. You know, this year has been really probably his biggest foray into it. And I think we've talked a little bit about how he fits in with Sean Dyche, but he's a pretty coordinated guy. He's got to do better with this, doesn't he? Yeah, and you know, you've you've been mentioning you know, since Sonata came that maybe he's not, he's not the strongest going forward. And a lot of people, a lot of people have really enjoyed watching him kind of play a higher role, winning headers while Dominic Calvert-Lewin was out, you know, talking about, we need to get him in the box. But I'm going to be honest, especially after this miss, I've sat there thinking, you know, I can't remember the last time he actually had a shot on target. You know, he's had some misses in some past matches. It's clearly not his best position to be in the box, you know, trying to make connections. Yeah, he just kind of lacks a little composure. You know what I mean? I think I think someone and and look, those are movements, you know, footwork and things that you're comfortable doing in different ways. Um, Yeah, I think he's just better deeper kind of running with the ball um, a little bit. But but either way, I I would have actually probably pegged him to hit this. I mean, normally he strikes a ball fairly cleanly, too. It's a little bit. I mean. Really, this isn't a hard. I mean, he doesn't miss it that badly, but it was a bad miss. It was a good. It was a really, really good chance. It is a quick reaction type of thing because it takes a weird deflection and it's coming up, but he's basically unmarked with the entire goal in front of him and he still can't quite get it down and he's leaning back a little bit. So great chance. Probably, as Ryan said, the one that went missing, the one that got away, so to speak. Um, but it wasn't the last chance of the half by any stretch. There was uh, in the 33rd, Onana wins it. We're on the counter. Gay pushes it forward. It's a really good pass to Damari Gray. Probably could do a little bit better on the shot. It's it's a low shot. Forces Riot to the ground. Um, and then we get a corner. And this is where the, the physicality started to come in. This one was was pretty chippy, to be honest. This is where Onana, I thought he got his shirt like ripped in half, but it looked like it just kind of got ripped off his arm. They're obviously very stretchy shirts, but... This was a little bit ridiculous. And then after that, we had the friendly fire contact of uh, Onana on James Tarkowski that led to the bizarre eye swelling that Onana powered through for the duration of his appearance. I mean, at one point in the match, it just seemed like if the ball was in the air, you could basically punch the guy in the face and won the ball. It wouldn't have mattered. They weren't calling anything. And then they started calling things. I mean, the officiating in general is so inconsistent. I'll tell you what, if Damari Gray, because Raya suddenly moves a little bit, leans to his left. If he puts this in the air at all with his left, it's with his left foot. It's a goal. He just waited him out long enough and got him leaning. I think he kind of made it look like he was going far post and, and went near. It's really close. Um, 
But look, we're all over him at this point. You know what I mean? We, we were really having a good first half. We were creating big chances. And then there was the moment in the 44th. This one is definitely worth a bit of analysis, I think. Um, set piece. Ball rattles around. Comes back off of Damari Gray. It looks like it kind of hit him in the chest. Maybe off his shoulder. It gets ricocheted off him. Goes in. And of course... They go to VAR. Our good friend David Coote was on VAR. He's always been so good to Everton over the years. So um, so I want to talk about this. So they rule it out. They say it's no goal. Um, so the first thing I will say is the rule change probably doesn't help us here. And, and the new rule this year is that it doesn't matter if it's an accidental handball. If it comes in off an attacking player, it hits his hand in any way, shape, or form, it doesn't count. Now... Earlier this year, we've had instances where it barely grazed someone's hand and they didn't count it and others that they did. So I, I think there are a couple different questions. So number one, number one, you go to VAR and, and I'll read it. Frankly, um, the referee may be assisted by a video assistant referee only in the event of a clear and obvious error or serious missed incident in relation to goal. No goal is the example here. So. The last comment here is, except for a serious missed incident, the referee and where the relevant other on-field match officials must always make a decision. The decision does not change unless it's a clear and obvious error. Now, do you think you got a good look at this thing? Do you think anyone got a good look at it? It was kind of a bang-bang play. That's the first question. Then the second question is, does it hit his arm? Now, clearly, I don't know if it hit his forearm, but it hit off his shoulder. Was that too low? What do you think they called here? It would have been nice to have a little bit of an explanation. Yeah, I mean, I I don't understand because, first of all, if it's clear and obvious, they didn't need to slow it down and stare at it for like three minutes straight. Second of all, I maybe I'm blind, but in, in the replay, I didn't see the ball actually touch his arm at all. And his arm was completely tucked in. I just don't know what you do. Like, did you just want him to amputate before the match? Because that that is the only way you avoid this call. I seriously don't understand what else there is. Well, it's 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 weird because the, and they said this on the broadcast. I think they originally rule it because they're looking at his left arm, which is the one where it kind of hits near his shoulder. But then it feels like because his right arm is kind of up and extended that they might have eventually reversed the call because they thought it hit his other arm. But from the angles they showed, you can't really. It looks like it doesn't. It clearly hits his shoulder. <clears throat> in relation to his left arm. And we don't really get like a look at a good enough angle to tell if it hit his other arm. So to me, there's not any clear evidence that it hit either of his arms. And therefore I'm, I'm really curious and kind of just furious at where the clear angle was that dubbed this or deemed this an overrulable goal. It seemed pretty cut and dry to me. They'll give us a clear and obvious apology after the match. That's worth absolutely nothing. And then we'll move on. So I'm not trying provide a counter opinion here i got a feeling it probably did hit his forearm uh just the way the ball came up and i will say this the ball strikes his his arm you can call it shoulder it's close i mean if you look at the stupid diagram they have with like the cartoon character on on the premier league website or the fa website where they show where is a handball and where it's not i don't understand how that helps anyone by the way because that is that it's not a real person like what do you i it's just so it doesn't make any sense to me. That being said, was it a clear and obvious error? I mean, geez, I just didn't see anything that was 
really blatant. Although I will say this, I'd like to point out the stupidity and maybe the irony of the rule now. So look, I'm all for rules that stress objectivity over subjectivity. I really am because I think the referees stink and the game is so fast at this point. It's hard. So think about this one. Remember a couple of years ago when they had the rule that if it hit your arm, no matter what, with the exception of distance, proximity, it was a penalty. So defenders basically in order to adjust, they'd have to basically put their arms behind their back. That's pretty much what you're asking. Meaning as if your arm was in any way, shape or form extended from your body, it was an automatic penalty. So all the coaches, mostly English coaches, I might add, since I love picking on apparently old English people in this pod, uh, at least recently, um, they all had an uproar about it. If you remember all this, I mean, we were the beneficiary of one of them early and then they stopped and changed the interpretation of the rule midway. Why? We're scoring too many goals. This is the complete opposite to take away goals. I don't understand it at all. So they decided, well, even if it's accidental, if it goes in off your arm, it shouldn't count. Look, I'm fine with eliminating the subjectivity, but he's got his arms to his body. It did. It surely didn't hit an arm that was extended from his body. So we've kind of gone the other way on this end. So what are you asking him to do? What Alex said is either you need to amputate all the attacker's arms, which I mean, I don't know about you guys. I think that's a little extreme personally. Um, May affect balance and agility. Not sure. It might. It might. And I mean, there are probably some sick people out there that would say, as long as you stopped, started with the Liverpool players and maybe just change your mind about halfway through, it might be. <laughs> maybe we should edit that out. Sorry. I, that was a joke. That was me saying someone else might think that. Not that I would think that. That's way too violent. We don't no, we, I would violence. never. I would never think such a thing. That's no, no. Sick. We don't condone that's that. That's second deranged. No, not at the American Toffee podcast. I mean, it's America. It's just non, non-violent society to begin with. I mean, please. We're all pacifists over here. So anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is that now you're almost encouraging, like, what is an attacker supposed to do? Like if I'm in there for a head ball, like I got to put my arms around my back and like run at someone like the black knight from Monty Python. <laughs> like it's just, it would be absurd. Like as a defender, sometimes you do that to kind of force your, your hands down to your side and it looks a little bit odder, but would there be anything more strange than people waddling around off rebounds to make sure it didn't accidentally hit their arm? I don't know. It seems to me it should be the same thing. If the arms are to the side, if they're not extended from the body, it should count because you can't make it intentionally hit you from that angle anyway. So it just, I don't know. It seems wrong. Like it seemed like it, it should be a goal. Um, that being said, we had big chances again. Wobi missed one. Onana missed one. The Wobi one's kind of forgiven because it's just a quick hit thing and he, he doesn't have time to do anything but stab it. You know, Keen flicks on the header and we go into halftime up one nil, but I mean, the XG numbers are 1.86 to point four or five, at least on info goal. It's about similar places other where other places as well. I mean, clearly we were the better team in the first half. Do we deserve to be up more than one nil? They had a couple big chances too, that I felt they might do better at Tony's a, a pain in there, but I don't know. I, I just, um, I felt like we were a little hard done by it, you know, a little unlucky. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It felt like in, in so few times have we had the luxury of a multi-goal lead to really like even defend. And so I thought we could have been up three nil very easily if a couple of those big chances are executed a little bit better, but that's been our struggle. That's been our struggle so far this season without a question. So, okay, we go up one nil, we head into the second half. And I think a lot of Evertonians were thinking, you know, more of the same, let's keep pushing. And look, I think in, in Nebula and I, Kevin and I were going back and forth on Twitter about 
I think I made a comment like, look, I get why they're attacking us directly, but I think they'd be a lot smarter if they started playing through the midfield and gaining some control of the match because, number one, we're going to get tired. And number two, I mean, we we look still looked a little disorganized in the midfield, you know, and, and you're going to get caught halfway. Like, do you want to pressure? And then if you pressure, you're leaving it yourself exposed and neither Onana and Gone are the super disciplined types to play back there. And I think that's that's what we saw. And I mean, early Pickford makes a great save on, on a free header, basically. Um, Seamus made a clearance and there were some big chances there early, but I think the big difference was, uh, when Shada came in, in the 62nd, along with Silva, I mean, the numbers are really one-sided after those subs. And, and, and I felt like we were just packed in the whole time. I mean, eight to one in shots, four to four corners to one, the possession numbers. I mean, they were almost at 77%. I mean, Bueno had, Bueno had three key passes from the 62nd on I'll tell you pass success rate 47% to 80% for Brentford that's from the 62nd minute on I mean the aerial numbers we only won 29% of aerials at that point and we were packed in like that's not good um and part of it was kind of we'd win it and the ball would go up and no one would pick it up and you know look I mean Brentford had 13 offensive aerials I mean I don't know. I mean, Shad won four six. He was three three in dribbles too. He was a real problem when they brought him in and kind of had him playing on the right side. Um, I, I I don't know what you do here. I think this is part of the problem. Is Gray up there really? Is no hold up play, and we weren't using him right, like we said earlier in the pod. But I think there was also some moments here in the second half that really highlighted the the officiating double double standards for sure. I mean, that Tony foul in the seventy first. Can we talk about that? Like, what an absolute garbage call that is. I mean, Tarkowski's standing there, standing in his feet. It is a blatantly obvious dive. And I think it's different than the O'Neill dive from the penalty, don't you? Yeah, well, it's just a case of the, the striker initiating the contact and getting bailed out. And we see that so often. And the referee's, like, he's, Tarkowski's just standing there. And he basically just, Tony goes by him with the ball, but Tarkowski doesn't move to make any contact. Tony just kind of runs into him when he's standing right there. It's a terrible call. He, he said he thought very, Godfrey shoved him, by the way, I think, which is yeah. even and worse. And on the replay, you see it's a there's nothing there. The only one you could even conceive of a foul on would be Tarkowski. But again, he's standing there. He's stationary. He puts his hands up, and Tony just kind of dives over his leg and flops, and they get a free kick in a very dangerous position. Uh, luckily, nothing came of it. Yeah, and then you had McNeil with a clean tackle a little bit later. Nick Weinstein chimed in on this one at Nick Weinstein 27. McNeil with a clean tackle foul. Unreal. Yeah, I just thought it was a double standard. The aerial stuff is ridiculous. I mean, Onana brings down a player, pulls him down with his arm over him. Fine. Then DeCorey gets pulled down by the shirt when he kind of lost his mind there for a little bit, if you recall. Yeah, I think that was on Aaron Hickey, right? Yeah, I mean, how is that? It's a total double standard. I mean, I would have been ticked too, man. He literally had a hand of his shirt and was kind of just yanking him down and then how about the play where decory gets loose gets fouled turns to the ref like asked him to give him the foul play on like no i just stopped and then he gets tackled again did they give a yellow at scc canuck no i don't believe they did i don't think there was a yellow on that play which is like really he got tackled twice i don't think so am i wrong Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. Yeah, guess not. Doesn't it's not showing it. I th- I thought for some reason that they said uh, because they it said was Enwemo an did get a yellow because it was an obvious it was an obvious yellow, right, Alex? I mean, of course you would have thought that he tackled him twice. I mean, seriously. Um, 
So look, Everton's um, strategic counter to all that was going on was very evident in the 80th minute where we brought in none other than Tom Davies to change the match for an Amadou Onana. Um, looked like his vision wasn't so hot at that point. So um, can we talk about the impact Tom Davies made when he came on? I mean, did we expect based on based on how the match was going? I'm, I'm not sure what we expected for him to do. I mean, he used his body well in a couple of plays like he wasn't you know, he didn't he didn't set the world alight. But I just I don't understand if you like expect Tom Davies to come in as the first sub in the 80th with like no out ball. You know, the rest of the midfield is dead. What what do you expect? <laughs> I mean, he, he, yeah, there were a couple sloppy giveaways and apparently according to the broadcasters, he's our most used sub this season, which, you know, says a lot about our options coming off the bench, but Connor Skelly at, I won't even read it. It's a bunch of letters and numbers, but Connor Skelly said, Tom Davies cameo today was so bad that someone needs to do a highlight reel with clown music attached to really do it justice. Uh, And I agree with Alex. Like there were a couple moments, but and someone else, uh, I forget who it was. I wish I could attribute it on our discord was like, why does Tom Davies look tired? And this was two minutes after he came on. Um, not to pick on the guy, look, he's getting used over a guy like James Garner off the bench. Who's recently returned, but he is just not it, man. It's the downgrade from even an out of form or like not having his best match Onana to Tom Davies is just, Uh, you know, I think you guys are being a little harsh. I mean, he had nine touches of the ball and look other than, you know, last match, he had more shoves than he had touches on the ball. So I think he didn't have nine shoves. So that's an improvement. Uh, he had three passes. He did complete one pass. I mean, no, I, I, there is one play where McNeil won the ball, did a great job winning the ball, flicked it over with his left, and Davies comes flying into the 18, can't hold the ball, like kind of drags it, loses it, and you just shake your head. You're like, this is not going to go well for our man uh, today. Uh, look, we hung in there. You know, there was a lot of pressure on us. I will say this, probably the biggest miss they had was in the 92nd. And the goalie is called up on the corner. Uh, of course, no one ever marks the goalie, which I find amazing if you think about it. Like he's got Mickey Mouse clown hands. He's normally wearing some obnoxiously colored kit. Like, did you not see him there? He's normally huge. Um, he does not do very well with this one, though. Well, it's like when you don't mark the and not really in today's NBA, but the old school basketball when you'd have like a center and you just don't you stand 15 feet off him at the three point line. Because you know he's not going to shoot. It's kind of like that, except in this case, the goalie's often one of the bigger players uh, and think he could potentially get up and win something. And, and Raya has a really good opportunity here. Fortunately, he does what you might expect from a player who's never really taking true headers does and, and skies it well wide. Um, and that was that was still scary, but that was basically the last real threat that Brentford posed and got us over the line. But still, I think this one was very much a tale of two halves. And even if you break it down like Ryan did after their subs, uh, we had James Gardner at J.R. Gardner 91, who said we were 100 percent the better side in the first half. Second half got a bit nervy at times. Uh, you think you can say that again, but we showed great resolve in seeing that one out. Massive three points. We also had Bill Muller at W.J. Muller say, guess it was half decent the first half. And that's true, too. I mean, that that's something we've been discussing, you know, the big question mark being, and again, it ended up being the big question today. Can we come out after halftime and put in a solid performance? And once again, for one reason or another, it was night and day from the Everton squad in the second half. I'm not sure if you could really chalk it up to the disallowed 2-0 uh, uh, goal from Damari Gray. Um, that had an effect, but otherwise, you know, the, the stats, the stats were what they were through uh, the first and then the second half. 
it's pretty dramatic. I mean, you can see it change at Mark R stats. I mean, he's got all these graphs up here. The cumulative expected for the red is hysterical. It just hits this moment in the 60th and then just branches off where it's all Brentford. Um, but look, you know, sometimes you got to put the shift in and we are where we are. Um, I don't know what kind of substitute changes might have been evident or would have helped. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd rather be like that when you had the lead, you know, for chasing a game, I think we're in even more trouble. Um, but look, they stuck it out, you know, and you got to give them some credit for doing that. Maybe a little bit was Brentford ineptitude. Uh, but we stood tall and we took the points. And it, it was yeah. so funny because commentators, I remember them specifically. One of them, it, it had me so annoyed. He actually said verbatim, I'm pretty sure Sean Dyche will be relieved they didn't go up 2-0 because that's the worst lead. And I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> A, who in their right mind would ever say that about our situation unless you just hate us? Um, but B, that clearly wasn't the case because we came out in the second half as if we were and we kind of bunkered down to an, an, an extent, which was was annoying to see. But I just, I could not believe someone said that. But that's, I mean, that's Sean Dyche's recipe for success. You know, def- defending leads well. And you look at the overall stats, We, you know, the first and second half are, are night and day. But 25 tackles as a team across both halves. Every starting outfield player registered at least one. Uh, ben Godfrey had led the team with four. Tarkowski, Gray, and Awobi all had three. But we had 18 tackles in the second half versus just eight in the first half. Um, so just showing the defensive effort that was required. Uh, they won 15 aerials in the second half. Ryan touched on some of those numbers early. But, I mean, 75% to 25% in the second half possession. Um, and it felt like it. It really felt like this team is putting us under a ton of pressure. Eventually, we will fold. The fact that we didn't, huge. But it just just leaves a lot of question marks, I think. You know, the lack of subs again, which I don't blame Dice too much for, given the options. But you've got some very good benches in this league. Other teams are able to change games and it feels like we are kind of one note, one dimensional um, and teams are going to start to, I think key in on that. And you could tell just the, the level of intensity with the press in the first half to the second half too. We backed off a little bit, obviously the lead, but Damari gray looked completely dead on his feet. A lot of players looked absolutely gassed and he's asking a lot of the players, a lot of running, a lot of energy, and it's hard to sustain those performances week over week, week over week consistently. That's the thing. If you're not going to have subs, we know he's not going to have subs, but he also hasn't had this massive preseason to put everyone in shape in order to not need to be subbed. And you saw, I mean, when you're subbing a Wobi out and a Wobi looks tired, (laughs) I mean, that, that says it all. Uh, Look, there were a lot of positive performances today. I mean, I do think it was very much a team win, but some individuals certainly certainly stood out. I, I thought I thought the number one guy that stood out was Dwight McNeil. And uh, look, he had a tremendous finish on the goal, hit it pure, hit it pure. Uh, he kept the ball a bit. He was one of the few that did. He looked a little dangerous when he was dribbling. Um, he's so perfect for a team that's good on set pieces because he's never really going to turn the corner on anyone. Uh, if he does it out of trickery, fine. He's not that fast. He's faster than people think, though. I mean, the guy's like 6'1", 6'2". I mean, he's not. Um, he had one key pass. Davies flicked the botch at the end. That was like the only time I thought we had a chance there. But he had two tackles, one interception, three clearances, and two block shots. So the defensive effort was there. And and again, he got the goal. Um, I love the quote here at the Bobblers because um, Dave has always been very pro McNeil. Um, and, and look, I think people just uh, pretty unfair 
the standards they were applying to him. He's a good Premier League player. We didn't pay like twenty million for him, like other people say, and you know, just some ridiculous mythology. Is he one footed? Sure. But their tweet was, can we normalize the fact my man, Dwight McNeil, is a good football player now, please? He is. He's a good football player, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he he just didn't even get barely any burn or Lampard. And that wasn't necessarily his system. But I mean, you know, how, how can you expect him to perform? I, I think hopefully we can get to the point where we can still call him McSteel sometime in the future. Um, in terms of positive performances, I think I had to go with Ghana on this one. And, and I think it is justified per the stats and the performance. But you know, he's a guy that seems to be a polarizing figure among the fan base, you know, coming back to Everton this season in regards to his performances and his usefulness as a player for us. And as a starter, um, we had barely any possession today at home. Ghana was a key piece for retaining the possession in tight spaces. You know, he occasionally was able to burst through some pressure and provide a bit of a le- uh, relief to the squad. Um, he, he, he provided a lot of really good pressure from the midfield in general, and he was always an engine able to keep up tremendously. His position positioning in this current setup, you know, pr- protecting the V, um, watching, especially today, Onana um, sit back a little deeper with him while Ducore pressed forward a little higher. Um, his positioning has looked better, but at the end of the day, he had 34 passes, the most on the team. He had 82% pass accuracy, which was the highest of the starters. The only person that exceeded him was... Mopai with 100%, I think maybe one pass in total. <laughs> he had one key pass, a shot on target, two tackles, interceptions, and three cl- clearances. We had bless their hearts at Cooper Murphy 13, and they said Keenan Ghana were excellent today. Um, have to agree, and it was obviously interesting. They they decided to shout out Keen as well. So we put it in our summary, uh, but we might as well bring it up now. The big question mark we had with with Idrissa Ghana guy wasn't that he was wasn't good. He's a little lacking in discipline at times, but is he going to continue to make those mistakes that we thought were kind of out of character for him? And and he really didn't make any of those and hasn't made any of those in the last two matches. And I think it's it's made a difference. Or hasn't you know when he doesn't make a big match, he had, didn't make one today, and it made all that. There was one time he was he had a pass back to Pickford. I was like, oh dear. Don't yeah. don't under hit it. And, you know, people are thinking about it. But and we had some good tweets about that, too. I think uh, PDX Toffee um, gutted it out. McNeil and Ghana, clear man of the match shouts for me. So me and Alex are right in line there. Sorry, James. Um, organized and generated enough chances to get an early lead and held on for damn life at the end. Earlier subs still needed, though. And Kevin Dyer, really, you know, he, he said kind of the same thing. We'll get to his because he made some comments about subs and plan A, plan B. But yeah, I think that's how a lot of people felt. You know, if you took out the mistakes, you're going to have a man of the match type performance. Still don't like how high he gets at times. Uh, He lets people get behind him. But that's also a little bit of a tandem issue, right? It's not necessarily purely him if they're in a two. Now, if he's a sitter, it's different. But Dice wanted them up the field pressing a little bit. We did see that. Um, James, I like your choice here. It's a blood and guts choice. Yeah, it's a. It, I went back and forth. Could have picked probably like Decore or even potentially Tamari Gray, but I went with Seamus Coleman, the captain. It wasn't his best performance, I think, realistically, at least in terms of stats, but the level of passion that he showed, some sliding last ditch efforts from him, and just the way he'd look at the crowd and get everyone fired up. I'm not going to say the S word, but passion, we'll leave it at that. You can read between the lines. Um, and showed up in some really key moments. He had that basically goal line clearance um, 
that was, I guess, ultimately a Pickford save, but he was in the right position as well. Um, and he, the other mistake he made was just that bizarre long shot that he decided to take that went right to the feet of Brentford and sprung a counterattack for them. But other than that, two tackles, four clearances, one interception, two aerials, and 60 grand for the man. CD at App State CD said much needed victory. Coleman immense today. Grab the momentum and keep moving. And Wags at T Wags Hot said, wish I had half of Coleman's passion. I think we all really love to see that from the captain today. Yeah, and one of his clearances too was a really, really solid clearance, like right in front of Pickford from a from an incoming cross. Um, that was an important one to tip over the bar too. You know, I think I think the difference between Coleman and let's say the other option, not not yet. Um, present day in Patterson is, you know, at least you know what you're getting from Coleman. You you don't have as much pace, um, but you've got solid positioning. You've got organization. Um, you've got consistency in, in, in whether, you know, how he's going to go forward and combine with Alex Iwobi as well. Um, so overall, yeah, I mean, he's he's plugged in the season. He's still probably playing more than, than we would have preferred him to play, and yet he's doing solid enough at the job for what we need, I think. We're talking like four or five years now, basically since we started the pod that we've been talking about needing a replacement for Seamus Coleman. And yet here he is still putting in 110% every single time he's on the pitch. Sometimes it goes well. More recently, it hasn't been going so well. But days like today, just remind you, you don't get 400 appearances for this club for no reason. No, you know what he has a lot of? Anyway, moving on. Uh, so let's talk about the Michael Keane for Connor Cody switch. We know that was a question last time. I think he was a better fit for what Brentford wanted to do today, playing this match for sure. You could see Cody backing off of Tony all day today and having them play right by us. Um, I, I thought Michael Keane played a pretty good match. Um, Rachel at R4, CLC1878. Rachel likes tattoos and books. That's good by me. Um, I'm going keen man of the match. There were a few options today and they'll likely get more praise for doing so. So I'm going with him. Good for her. It's good to see Michael Keen get some praise and uh, Scott EFC at Evertonian in New York. Thought I was going to have a heart attack in the second half when we couldn't keep hold of the ball. Yeah, that's true. But brilliant hard work all around. Could have been up three to four at halftime. McNeil was excellent. Been lots of criticism, myself included for Keen but thought he played well. So let's talk about that. We did struggle to keep the ball in the second half. And I think there's some reasons for that. There's some people that need to be in there and or, or else we just get overrun. Is there a plan B? So Kevin Dyer at Nebula, 1979, friend of the program. Um, great first plus Nick Neal offers a threat for range. Second 45, a tough watch as EFC drag themselves over the finish line. Dyche is plan a, then gut it out. Work today. That match is exhibit A for why we can't drop Ghana. That's something to think about, too. If he's making mistakes, you just got to hope he doesn't make mistakes. His point was the subs made it even worse, but it's a good question. Do we have an issue with Sean Deitch and lacking a plan B? I mean, I don't know, because you never know if that's a factor of whether Sean Dyche himself does or he feels like he does based on the squad and the players that are healthy, um, the players that he clearly just chooses not to pick, like Yeri Mina, for example. Um, but I, I, I'm going to be honest, I think the current setup probably is the best, at, generally speaking, structurally speaking, um, to get the most out of uh, the majority of the players that we have in the team currently. And, and I don't know that, um, 
I, I don't know how many, I mean, we bring Tom Davies off the bench constantly. He, he's like the most used sub as James cited, you know, the, the discussion about Ghana being here and how well he's performed. I literally cannot imagine what we would have done all season if Ghana did not come to Everton. Like who would be playing there and how would they be doing? Because there's no other option. You know, Garner's been out for three months now with a back injury. Um, Tom Davies, again, as we're, as we're mentioning, he's just reciting shoves from him as a defensive action to some, <laughs> to some degree. So, you know, it's clear that there, that we just don't have the luxury of a plan A and plan B all the time. You know, you would think, you would think it's very ironic. You would think signing someone like Mope, who is, um, the opposite in terms of, of, of the type of striker he is to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, that you would have a plan B, uh, Damari Gray, for example, Another plan C, if you will, um, compared to Sims slash Mope. I, I, I just don't see that it maybe it's Sean Dyche's problem at the moment more than it is the personnel we have and the fact yeah. that we have, you know, three, four other center backs sitting on the bench. Yeah, no, I think that's well said, Alex. I think at this point, you look at the squad we have, and we've done it in the squad assessments, right? We just do not have a team of players that's capable of like switching to a possession style. I think we can probably do a better job or could do a better job of keeping the ball on the ground, even if we're going long with it. Um, but 100%. Sean Dyche wants to, Sean Dyche wants to bypass the midfield and that's going to result in looking for Damari gray over I mean, the number. He's just never going to win an aerial. So to continue to do that, I guess it's just kind of like a war of attrition. You just keep launching it and make them come at you, especially in the second half. But yeah, it just, we've talked about it. We don't really know what Sean Dice would do if he had a team of guys who could play Tiki Taco, but I feel like it really wouldn't deviate that much from what we've seen from him in his career so far. No, it does. It does affect certain players though. And this, this is I mean, the key issue with Everton, I think in terms of recruitment over the years, I mean, you've got players that just don't fit. They may fit a manager. The manager has a lot of influence on recruitment. I think too much, and that's what you've got. So I think Amadou Anana is a very good example of this. I mean, are we getting the best out of him right now? I will say this. Trying to push him up to win headers occasionally because you don't have that presence on his side is fine, whatever. I don't like it. I get why we're doing it. I think a DCL appearance would help that a lot, too. Um, Don's the type of guy, too, that you can have the plan A. It almost doesn't matter. He's going to get his head on something. And so I think winning the second ball would be pretty lethal there. And then maybe you could allow Anana to sit back a little bit and wouldn't feel the urge to be pushed up higher. But I, I just can't help but think that he's a guy that takes the air out of the ball, that controls it. He was a good short and medium passer, great possession player, wins tackles, runs with it every now and then. But that's more his game to kind of control and boss a game. And if often at Burnley, I mean, he would literally have his two midfielders playing really deep to just kind of fire it and bypass the midfield, like you said, James. So... He doesn't seem like the best fit, but maybe that would change a little bit with Dom coming in. And you look at DeCorey. I mean, DeCorey's a nine-day player than he was under Frank. Now, I think Frank just refused to play him for no reason that I could think of that was good. But he looks very comfortable being let loose and flying around. So I think it is what it is, you know, and 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 you're right, Alex. I don't think we know enough. You know, it doesn't look like he has a great plan B or they're not executing it very well. Um, let's hope that changes or Dom comes back, stays healthy, but it's just we're just putting too much hope on that um which leads me to the last comment gray on for the moped so i would say that worked for the most part certainly in the first half it did but you could really see the need for maybe hold up play and this is tied to the plan b i mean from the 62nd on i mean i respect his effort right he had three tackles um is he a 90 minute player 
I mean, gray does tend to kind of run out of gas. Probably yeah, not dice. It's a good point, right? I mean, where? Well, I will say this though, but dice sometimes lets that center forward, you know, be if anyone doesn't defend, it's you know he wants an outlet, um, but he's he's still, I guess, with his size, he can't just back into someone, right? I bet if you go back to the episode where we signed Amari Gray, we probably talked about the fact that he's questionably True. a ninety-minute player. Then, True. like that's always been his problem is he's very electric, explosive, whatnot, but he just runs out of gas because he gives so much and his. It, it's, quick bursts of pace but it's just not sustainable over 90 minutes so if that was the one that's the one sub i would have made earlier as opposed to tom davies is just get another person up there especially if you're still gonna in moments try to push high and like push it on their back line and on raya just get a set of fresh legs in there i agree with that even if you're gonna play the hoofball stuff i mean the moped's not gonna win anything in the air but he'll throw his body into people he's a bit of a bowling ball and he'll affect it like if if we're real you know there were a couple times too i almost felt like we needed to hoof it more at the end, instead of trying to play these like kind of little clearances to take it and then build it out and break out man, forget it, just send it all the way back. And then you can push your players up a little bit more and get back on it. You know, um, you know, Mopai can hold the ball up a little bit and that just seemed like it was necessary. Uh, I don't think either are great fits at center forward under Dice, but yeah, we'll see. Um, what about Ben Godfrey in for Mikalinko? I felt like in the second half near the end too, Godfrey's winning winning headers on the backside was was really important. I know he won two out of four later in the game that they're really big. Mark at Mark football, four or six points without Mikalenko starting. Gentlemen. Yeah, I mean, look, Godfrey has had experience at the left back position. I think we've all been kind of wondering, at least on the on the ATP, when he was going to get back into the lineup. Because remember, he and Yerry Mina, I think it was this season, started at center back for Frank Lampard. They they presumably were going to be the starting pair um, before injury. He comes in and, and you know, look, him nor Mikalinko really offer much going forward. I got to be honest. And so if you look at the defensive side of the game, you know, something that we really need to, to sturdy up and, and cut out individual errors, we don't necessarily see the glaring issues positionally um, or individual errors from Ben Godfrey that we do from Mikalinko. Again, the aerial winning, um, winning aerial duels is, is a huge difference between the two of them. And Ben Godfrey's recovery pace is also just something completely different too. his strength. Um, I think he uses his body well and he can connect pretty well too. um, just, just moving the ball forward. So, uh, overall, I think it's a positive and he should, he should probably stay in there at that left back position. And, you know, we've talked about it before and I don't know what y'all's thoughts are, but I, I doubt he's a guy that Dice is going to favor in the middle of a, of a back four simply because of his size and, and, and again, kind of how we mentioned with Keen being able to win so many headers in the box and deal with guys like Ivan Tony. I just, I guess I have a really hard time with the fact that he's right footed. Like it just creates so many awkward situations. It's not really a huge deal, but it, like you don't see any Tell that to right footed okay? left backs. Okay. He might be the, the, the one. <laughs> he's kind of okay. But, well, he scored but, today from right back though. But yeah, and he can play on either side, but I feel like that's just so killer. And Godfrey, while being really explosive when he gets momentum, I still don't think he's all that great defending wingers wide. Um, He did okay today and again, led the team in tackles. So deserves some credit there. And he was like very aggressive um, and, and was more disciplined positionally, I think, than he was against Forrest. So yeah, I mean, you win, so I bet Sean Dyche kind of sticks with the same, but I, I really wouldn't be too disappointed to see Mikalenko come back in. I think if you're going to play McNeil out wide left, 
Um, I think it's okay to have someone kind of behind him that isn't willing to go forward because McNeil wants to use all that space out wide. And and when he plays left, he's playing as more of a traditional winger. If you were to move a Wobi out there, someone that might sneak into the half space that can free up the space for the left side. Like if we're down, I think Mikalenko is a better fit. So maybe it varies depending on who we're playing. But yes, I have to admit, if we are going to press a little bit higher, his recovery pace does matter. And Mikalenko has a bad tendency to drop back too far. We already have that issue with our other defenders. So maybe he is a better fit, although I don't know if he's necessarily a better left back. He's certainly a better athlete. Uh, James, you're probably right, though. He'll probably stick with it. Uh, Maybe against the better teams. um, It will pay off. Um, Look, teams are going to get smart, man. They're not going to let they're not going to sit back and let us double their guys out wide with the left midfielders. You know, the way we were against Arsenal in the first match. That's the case. You're going to have to deal with someone D1 defending up higher. I think Godfrey has more of a problem when defending as a unit. His awareness isn't as good. His positioning isn't very good. God knows he was awful coming off the bench at right back. I don't know. Yes, I agree, though. He's not going to offer you much attacking, for sure. There's no question about that. Um, But I think at this point, we got to live with that. It's hard to argue, though, that some of... I mean, the results are certainly better under Sean Dyche. I don't know if it's the new manager jump, but they certainly look a little bit more organized, uh, certainly more purposeful. I think there's still a lot of improvement to be had, but um, I think there's a lot of evidence that would have suggested that had we just hired this guy earlier or maybe anyone, no offense, Frank Lampard, we'd be in a very different spot. Yeah, you look at this tweet from Neil at Neil A1878. It's just from Transfer Market. It's the table since Sean Dyche took over. Everton sit in sixth place having taken 10 points from seven games. Um, Wolves just above us, the Reds, Arsenal, City, Spurs, and then you know a lot of teams have it's been an up-and-down season. But no question, Sean Dyche, as we said at the top, three wins, seven games, as many as Frank Lampard got in 20. It's trending in the right direction. I think the big question has been, will it be too little too late? And in addition to that, you know, we all looked at the fixtures before recording and kind of wish that we had it because the next run of games, it could be a little while before we see another victory. But hopefully we can, you know, scrap some good results at home and maybe just get a handful of points before we get some more winnable fixtures coming our way. I mean, it's worth taking a peek at the table. I mean, I hate to do that. We just got to take care of business. But if you look at it, I'll tell you what, the city result helped this afternoon. I mean, thanks a lot to Liverpool for absolutely laying an egg this morning. God, that was an embarrassing effort. But we had some decent results. I mean, Leeds got a point. But if you look at it, the problem is that all these teams have games at hand against us. I still fail to believe that West Ham's really going to be in it. But Leicester looks pretty toothless right now. But they've got good attacking players. Um, But that Palace lost today, I mean, we're two points behind them. Yeah, there's a game at hand. It's just you just don't know who's going to drop. And it's so important to get the points now. So these teams look down and they say, Boy, we're under some pressure now. I mean, look, 12th place right now is 27 points. Southampton are in 20th with 21. And it's basically from 23 to 27. You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams separated by four points. Um, I just can't help but think that if you may, first of all, I would never hire Lampard to begin with or even considered him. But I think had you made the change earlier, you probably could have gotten a recruit or two in January. And this would look very different. Alas, we are, we are, we have some tough fixtures coming forward, but I think Dyche and Everton deserves a lot of credit for at least putting us into a position 
three points today was massive. I mean, if we didn't get the three today, I, I was very doubtful. Um, it's a massive win and onward. Yeah, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to res- uh, record after a win. Um, it's a good feeling to win at home, I'm sure, especially for all the Evertonians that got to go to the match. And it's an important three points. So hopefully that can kind of keep us positive for the next couple of weeks as we have some tougher matches to go. But again, you know, Dyche comes in and we put that performance in against Arsenal. Nothing is impossible. We can pick up points. We can pick up draws. Hopefully we have another couple guys coming back from injury and illness that, you know, can boost the squad numbers. Um, so finally, we had a tweet from Sean Khan at KingCon225, regular contributor and friend of the show. And he said, for the final word, the team showed incredible character against arguably the hottest team in the league. Absolute banger from McNeil and have to give Michael Keane and Ghana special mentions as they disrupted so well. For the disappointment last week to not concede against Brentford is impressive. Up the Toffees. And look, if you look at the next fixtures, we're at Stamford Bridge and James and Alex won't be in attendance. So we've got a chance there as a result because that's, we, that's <laughs> I'm, for, I'm but just not unfair. What I, I'm sorry. What happens? What, what do you want me to say? Now we never I, went at Stamford Bridge. Okay. Now when I see Everton play Chelsea, like I did, granted it was a Goodison, we win. So maybe I'll just book a flight. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't know if Dominic Talbert-Lewin's going to be ready for that one. That might be a big risk. Maybe he comes off the bench. But what I love is two weeks after that, we've got Tottenham at home. Um, they're looking better now, but Agent Richarlison, I'm just saying. He's unsettled. I'm you just saying. Seen his interview the last couple of days. That's right. We need him to start. You know, I, I think he knows it's coming up. So after that game, he'll be a perfect, you know, perfect, wonderful Spurs player. But I have no problem with him being a rap rouser leading up to that game. You know what I'm saying? Couldn't agree more. Lots to look forward to. Hopefully Everton can continue the momentum, as so many have said. Appreciate everyone tuning in to this edition of the American Toffee Podcast. Always great to record after a victory, which have been way too few and far between as of late. We'll enjoy it. We hope you do, too. Thanks for listening. Reminder, one last plug. If you enjoy the show, leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Helps us out a ton. Links to all our social media in the description as well as our Discord, which you should join, invite.gg slash ATP. And with that, it's going to do it for us. Until next time, up the toffees, sack the board.